hey there, my name is Jacob, welcome back to Sophomoros. Um, I wanted to share an interesting little insight that I gleaned while doing a Bible study uh, with my students at camp this week. Um, we just got back from camp a couple days ago, and uh, every morning while we were at camp, we did a kind of impromptu... Well, it wasn't impromptu. We did organize it, but it was, you know, we just picked a random um, passage from Scripture and we did a Bible study on it, and it was optional. Um, and some kids showed up to that, and uh, and and as we were reading, something dawned on me that I wanted to share. Uh, just an interesting thing that I noticed that I, I hadn't noticed before. Um, so we were reading in John chapter 11, which is the um, death and resurrection of Lazarus. Um, so I'm going to read the story in the NIV, um, and then maybe I'll go back over it again in NASB just to kind of um, make sure that we're getting all the little nuances because the NASB is a little bit more um, rigid with the translation. Uh, by the way, if you hear like any kind of construction noises or anything like that, um, I've, please forgive me. I have construction going on right outside my apartment, and uh, if it's irritating you, know that it is also irritating me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, John chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he, said, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha, rise, Martha, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, uh, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, she, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So there's a lot of interesting things about this passage. Um, I'll start by saying that it, I have this tiny little office at work um, that's kind of back and cloistered away from uh, the hustle and bustle of the rest of the church. And um, when I was decorating this little office space, I got really excited because I love decorating and I love having, um, I love getting to, to buy uh, new pieces of art to put up because I don't know I've talked about this a little bit before but I, I do love um, art I, I love finding art that says something to me um, and so as I was searching for art to decorate my office with I found uh, this one piece um, and I'll try to put in the description the name of the art piece in case you'd like to also go look at it uh, I'm sure I, I believe the uh, the artist had a picture of it on the website, so maybe I'll include a link to the picture as well so that you can look at it. Um, it looks to be a charcoal sketch. I just got a print out of it, but um, it's a charcoal sketch of Jesus, um, and Jesus is very, very close to the face of uh, a man who's wrapped in, um, in cloth. He is very close. They look like they're almost kissing they're so close um and jesus's eyes are closed um and you can see a tear rolling down his cheek 
and there is something about that picture that spoke to me. Um, I think I've figured out what it is. I think what I love about that piece of art is that in the midst of our death and disaster, God is not far from us, and God is not emotionally distant from us. Um, I think that it's easy for us to think of God's might and God's strength and God's resolve and God's will as something cold and somewhat detached from human lives and human feelings. Um, and we get these verses like the heart is deceptive and so we shouldn't listen to the heart, right? Um, and uh, and we, we kind of have allocated the, the affective range, the, the, the part of us that is emotive, um, to the flesh, to that which is deceitful and um, ought to be distrusted. Um, but Jesus here sees his friend who has passed away, and more than that, he sees the wake of devastation that the passing of Lazarus has caused to those who loved him, um, his sisters and the many Jews who are at his, um, at his wake. And he begins to mourn. He begins to weep. It says that he's deeply distressed and, and, uh, and bothered by the passing of his friend. And if God is a detached uh, person from us, if, if God doesn't care all that much about us, then this passage makes no sense. Um, and I think that there's uh, oftentimes a drive to want to see this as uh, just an expression of Jesus's human nature and not his divine nature, as if the divine nature is looming somewhere above untouched um, by this experience, um, or perhaps grounded in the deeper reality of what is about to occur. And perhaps we can say that um, because God is sovereign and God is unlimited, but um, I think that that detaches from us the, the idea of revelation, that Jesus is uh, the true revelation of who uh, God is, and not just in what he says, but in how he lives and in how he moves. Uh, it is the God of Israel who is mourning here for Lazarus. It is the God who brought up um, the Israelites out of Egypt. So anyways, that, that's just an important note I wanted to make, um, that, that God is not far from us, that God has a heart, and his heart is moved by us, even when he knows that within seconds he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He is going, he is willing to weep over our death. And so in the same way, we live in a time, uh, we could say we live in a time between the times. We live in a time uh, between Jesus's ascending back to heaven, um, and his promise to return, and his actual return. Um, and so I, I think we also inhabit this strange, tense wilderness, um, this, this place where we, we walk as nomads. We don't have any resolution that lasts in this life. We are, um, we are constantly, uh, blown off of our course. We're, 
uh, everything is constantly changing and corrupting and decaying and falling away. And so um, we live very much in the tomb of Lazarus. We live very much in the dying and in the death of Lazarus right now. And so I think it's deeply comforting to know that um, almost as uh, an icon of, of this reality, if Jesus is willing to weep for um, the death and the dying of his friend, then he is also willing to weep, and he, I think, does weep with us. He is, you know, his spirit is grieved um, when we uh, when we pursue sin, and I'm guessing also when we die, um, when when we die before our time, and, and we, I think that um, there's a there is an element to God that uh, is is not uh, far from mourning. I mean, Jesus even says, blessed are those who mourn. Um, how can he not be one who mourns if uh, the blessed are those who mourn? So anyways, uh, moving from there, I'll, that wasn't really the thing that, that stuck out to me, though, on this trip. Um, what stuck out to me on this trip is the difference in Jesus's responses to the two sisters who ask the same, well, really, don't ask, but um, who say, who, who make the same comment when he arrives uh, in Judea. So he says, um, it says, uh, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews uh, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Um, so Jesus shows up on the scene, um, and it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Um, now, I'm not sure what the importance of that is, that M Martha will go out. Um, besides, kind of the, the caricatures of Martha and Mary as um, being sort of like yin and yang figures, right? Um, Martha being the one that uh, gets out ahead of the problem, right? Um, I'm kind of pulling from the story in Luke chapter 10, uh, in which Jesus uh, is called out by Martha for um, not telling Mary to uh, to basically get off her butt and start helping um, with the with the preparations for food. So um, Martha, it, it's no surprise, I guess, that Martha goes out to meet. Uh, to meet Jesus, whereas Mary stays at home, um, Martha is sort of the busybody. She's um, the the active one, and in, in many of the uh, mystical interpretations of this passage, she is the one that's that's characterized as the active life, whereas uh, Mary is characterized as the contemplative life. Um, now, I'm not sure that there's a huge distinction between those two, but. Um, Regardless, we'll move on. So when Mar Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so um, so she says that, and then I'm going to cut down uh, to 32. When Mary reached uh, the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, almost a carbon copy of what, uh, in fact, I think it is a carbon copy of what M Martha says above. But notice that Jesus does not say the same thing to each of them. And if anything, this tells us a little bit um, about the, the nature of Christ, that he is not 
uh, he, he does not speak to all people the same. I mean, we know this. We know this because we read the scriptures and we see this all over the place that Jesus varies his speech according to who he is talking to. But that means that whatever Jesus's truth is, it doesn't necessarily sound the same when spoken to every person, which is interesting. Um, that, that God, though he is unchanging truth, when he incarnates, he does not speak to everybody with the exact same monotone voice, but rather varies his speech and varies his responses based off of the person that he's talking to. And I, you know, if you think about what, what a conversation is, what a dialogue is between two people, um, what any kind of communication is, you, you come to realize that, like, there could be no other way for this because in order for somebody to be spoken to um, and uh, for, sorry, if, if um, in order for the speaker to speak and for the hearer to understand and uh, there, there has to be some negotiation between the two. There, there has to be a midpoint, a medium for the two of them to share. So Jesus is, is engaging here with um, uh, different mediums uh, because he's engaging with different people. So listen to what he says. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Mar Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But notice exactly what she, notice what she says right after that. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Okay, so she, she says, you know, listen, I, I, I know that if you were here, you could have healed my brother. But then she says immediately afterwards, but listen, I know that even now God would give you whatever you ask, which it sounds to me like this is her saying, I believe you could raise him from the dead. I mean, I really don't know what else this could be meaning. Um, but even now God will give you whatever you ask. Even now that, that Lazarus has died. So she's expressing a faith in the possibility of him raising Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus says this in 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And this sounds like, you know, kind of vaguely optimistic. Um, it sounds creedal, right? He's he's tapping into a, a widely held belief among um, the Jews, at least among the faithful um, and kind of probably more conservative Jews uh, of, of the day, um, that, that there would be a resurrection of the dead. And Martha answers, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So it's interesting that she responds that way um because she's saying i know i know that i i am firm in the reality that there will be a day i will see lazarus again that is a uh, non-negotiable to me but there is something that she is unsure about in her her surety is not in whether or not jesus could raise lazarus from the dead because we've seen that um but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So, so she knows that he's powerful. She just doesn't know that he will actually do it. She doesn't know if he's willing to do it. So she, she sticks to her convictions. She's a person of, um, of belief. Um, but someone, I think, that very much sticks to her convictions and her belief. Um, so you see her say, um, I, I know she, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's what she knows. That's what she's willing to confess before Jesus. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he, he 
destabilizes her belief in a future resurrection by locating the resurrection within himself. Um, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Um, so so he's, he's probing to the depths of where she sees um, the surety of the resurrection. Is the resurrection um, sure because of the promises uh, given to Israel and, 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 uh, and somehow apart from Christ? Or is is the resurrection located within Christ and, and founded on and based on his covenant um, with the people? Um, and she says, yes, Lord, she, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So she ties his uh, messiahhood into um, the resurrection. She sees a tie there. So that's interesting. Anyways, so, so we see all of that take place. And it says, after the, she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Uh, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, she or they, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So notice that, that Martha goes in, tells Mary that Jesus is here, and now Mary wants her goes, goes separately to go meet with Jesus, um, and she runs. She runs to go see Jesus. So this disrupts the pattern of the contemplative and the active. Um, and so Mary runs to Jesus, uh, and um, she, with her, brings a crowd. The Jews who had been with Mary in the house come with her to see where she's going, um, to thinking that she's going away to mourn. But she's actually going in probably a bit of anger and in a bit of hope um, to Jesus. So it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, here is something interesting that I noticed. And this might seem obvious. Um, maybe I'm just slow, but it says at the very beginning of the chapter, I'm trying to find the exact verse here, um, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So in Luke chapter 10, we meet Mary and we meet Martha, and we meet them in this setting of being entertained in the home of probably Lazarus. Um, and uh, Martha berates Mary for sitting at Jesus's feet. So J Mary is at the feet all three times that we see her in these stories. Really interesting. So Mary is the, is the disciple at the feet. That is her, like that's almost just her posture, is just always at the feet. And I'm thinking about um, the injunction to wash feet um, as a, a call of discipleship. I think that this is actually a very subliminal message that says that Mary is one of the most faithful of the disciples. Um, and I think we get that already from kind of the, the reputation she gets throughout the stories that we uh, see of her. But man, like what a cool little symbol. What a cool little um, thing. And, and 
uh, also, it spans across the Gospels, right? It's in Luke and it's in John. Um, so anyways, I, going back. Um, let's see. Sorry, I lost my place. Um, so after she said this, she went back in, called her Mary, sister Mary aside. So Mary runs, and when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, right, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, carbon copy of what her sister said, but doesn't follow it up with her convictions at all. Doesn't say anything, but, you know, not now, even now you could, you know, get whatever you want from God if you just asked, right? She doesn't, she doesn't say that part. When Jesus saw her weeping, so that's what she follows up with, is um, Martha comes out and basically comes out with an argument and comes out with a, not just an argument, but a, a set of propositions. Um, she's trying to fall back on what she believes. Martha is, it seems, a very conviction-driven person, whereas Mary is a very affect-driven person. She's very um, emotionally and spiritually set. Um, she, she goes where she, I think, probably feels um, comforted. And so she goes to Jesus, she asks the question, or, or, or basically makes the statement, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So here's the interesting thing. Jesus is responding differently to them based off of their different approaches to him. Martha runs out to meet Jesus, and basically gives a, an argument about, um, you know, makes, makes uh, declarations of faith, makes a confession of faith in him. And he and her have this sort of cerebral argument um, back and forth about uh, where the resurrection is located, right? So that kind of tells us a little bit about Martha and where, what she's, you know, the, the strongest maybe authority in her personality is uh, what uh, what area she's willing to bend to the most. The, she's kind of a person of the mind um, and of the will, whereas Mary is a person of the heart um, and of of emotions and so when and of this uh, of the spirit. So when Mary comes, uh, she she comes and just says, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Follows it up only by weeping, and Jesus responds to her with mourning. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Right? This is the famous passage, the, the shortest verse in all of the um, all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, I don't believe it is in the original language, uh, the shortest um, verse, but it is in English. But anyways, it's kind of a side point. Side point. So anyways, I just think this is um, interesting that the ways that Jesus approaches the two sisters are dependent upon how they come to approach him. And I think, I have a hunch, that this might be why we have so many different theological variations in the church. Um, or if not theological variations, at least differences in theological emphasis, where we put our emphasis as believers uh, in different parts of our faith. Um, I 
tend to be fairly ecumenical in the way that I uh, in the way that I approach uh, differences of of doctrine and um, different streams of Christianity throughout the history of the church. Um, ecumenical meaning, like I, I think we're all pointing at the the same thing, and I think we're all getting some things right and some things wrong, and that we probably should listen to each other a little bit more. Um, but even if we don't listen to each other, I think it's interesting that Jesus, I mean, we all have those stories of being met by Jesus in di completely different denominations and church backgrounds and different upbringings and different um, places all around the world, different cultural upbringings. Jesus is not somebody who requires us to be a certain way when he meets us. He comes and transforms us from where we are. His response to us, or his, really his first speaking to us, his encounter with us, is varied um, because the person that he is speaking to in each given situation is varied from the last. Um, so I, anyways, that's deeply powerful to me um, that and, and it, that Jesus is able to um, condescend enough to not um, to to not feel offended that he has to vary his speech um, that he, uh, condescends and suffers our tremendous fragmentation and difference as people. Um, uh, the the unbelievable amounts of diversity, and that he doesn't just um, suffer that, but he actually builds it up into a body. Um, so you know, kind of to go into the Pauline realm for a second. Um, and so I, that's that's deeply, um, deeply uh, comforting to me. I also think it may hold a key to how we approach one another as believers. Um, I think the moment that we believe that we are coming to the table with the full, um, the full puzzle, and um, and all the pieces to the puzzle, and that someone else is missing um, a significant portion of theirs, I, I think we've misunderstood. It might be that we each have a piece of the puzzle that we're bringing to the table, um, and that we actually do need to listen to each other and and argue things out. Um, and, or at least discuss with one another um, and be humble enough to learn from one another. Um, but anyways, this is, this is a pretty wide abstraction from this passage. I understand that. Um, so I'll leave this here. Um, just, a, just kind of a, a spiritual reflection on John chapter 11 and a couple of little details that stood out to me that I hadn't seen before. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and thanks for listening.